right? Good morning. Yep. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to your daily game face. I'm having a good morning, so I'm a little, you know. Excited. Are you? Because it didn't sound like it. Why? Why didn't it? It didn't. I'm like upbeat, happy. I came home and said, I'm home, honey. I know, but you came came in with like a shopping list of problems. <laughs> I had something in my eye. I didn't have my shoes tied. Yep. I'm running amok this morning. Yep. Because I'm busy. There were glute issues. There was. I did have a glute issue that I told you about <laughs> that I will not share with the world. <laughs> That's, needless to say, we can say that it's related to hiking a lot. So I have a little bit of a right glute issue going on. Yeah. So I had to walk up a whole bunch of stairs. It put a lot of pressure on that glute. It was a flight. It was a flight I of know, stairs. I know, but I just came from a run and personal training this morning. So I was a little glute challenged. Yeah. So, okay. anyway, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> There's a nice intro. <laughs> Welcome to your daily game face with Dr. Kim Lannon. That's me and my lovely producer, Lou Blasey. Lou, how are you this week? I'm okay. Just okay. Doing what I can. Oh, boy. I told you. I'm in. We're on the Cincinnati mode. I know. <laughs> I know. You're going to write a book. Oh, yes. I've had that idea for a book for a long time. I want to see. I should it. write it before he retires. There you go. Big money in that. Yeah. Um, so. I was going to talk today about um, what, you know, we talked a little bit, well, a lot about the Boston Marathon and kind of people having their purpose and all that stuff last yeah. week. But I thought this week um, we would talk about what is your why? What is your why? What is your why? Yeah. And I'm going to give a little background on what is your why. Um, so I've, I've been doing a, uh, I belong to like a group on Facebook that's like about runners and women. And, and there's a few men in the group, but it's called the Diva Group and whatever. So I've been in it for a while. So they asked me to do some sports psychology tips and, yep. and each week in June. And so the last couple of weeks I've been doing goals and then kind of doing the three Ds and like, you know, how do you, you know, direction, decisions, dedication, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And then yesterday I posted up one about, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you have to have a reason why you're doing something. And people think or get confused that why is not the same as what you do or how you do it. And I was talking to some people the other night about this again. So it's kind of a timely topic because yeah. it seems to be up there. Um, why do we do what we do? And it's not the same thing as like, Hey, you're, you know, you do TV, you do radio, you do something, or, you know, right. I am a psychologist. I am a doctor. That's not why I do it. And talking about, I do it to make money. That's not that's yeah, I was a result guess. of that's a result check of that one what off, you're right? doing, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you do it? I listen to people, I make suggestions, you know, all those things. So people can tell you all day long about what they do and how they do it. But why do you do it? You know, why did you go and get a degree in that? Or why do you work at that particular job? Or what do you do in the morning? You know, what do you do in the morning is very different than why you're gonna do something today. Mm. So I just thought we would talk a little bit about your why and how do you do so it's purpose it's it's really about purpose and we have talked about this in, in shows gone by but um it's bigger than just your purpose it's about it's about really f believing in whatever that is inside that drives you to do something and it's very different than just saying you know someone says you know uh, what makes you want to do this? And people say, I'm a people person. I love people. <laughs> or, I, you know, I just yep. have never had the experience before, and this would be the best experience of my life. But it would still come back to what I would ask would be, why? Why would it be the best experience? Why are you a people person? Yeah. Why do you love what you do? Or why do you not love what you do? So why does it change you? So, But people don't do that kind of inward out they always go from out in. So whatever's external to drive them, internal to outside is very different different and difficult because 
um, I think a few shows ago we talked about the limbic system. The limbic system is the emotional center of the brain. Right. And it's, you know, it's got the hippocampus, your memory center, your hypothalamus, your regulator for temperature and sex, libido and eating and drinking and thirst and so on and so forth. And then you have your amygdala, which is your aggression and agitation, fight and flight and all that. So it's that center that's really driving your why. When you start talking about your why, it lights that section up in your brain and actually gives you motivation and drives you to something. Um, you want to go for a run. Why? <laughs> you know, people go, I have no idea. Yeah. So if you really, like if I'm doing sports psych with someone and I'm talking about why do you want to do a marathon and they, I have people that will say, well, because it sounds like fun. Well, yeah. nobody really ever says it sounds like fun truly. You right. know, it's because it's a lot of struggle. It's it's worth the reward. It's all those things. But why do you do it? Everyone has a why. Um, if you want to, you know, be a pro football player, why? And and I learned this a long time ago when I was doing like I was doing some acting training growing up and all this stuff. And people were like, why do you want to do it? Now the answer predominantly that I hear in performing artists that I work with, very similar to sports people is that they want to be famous yeah that is not a why that's going to actually be successful it has to be something tangible it has to be something that you can measure and observable and so people get caught up in the limelight of the fame and fortune because they see these top athletes or they see these top actors and actresses or personalities yep. that but people have to remember it's like the one percent of the 1% right. of the thousands of millions of people who are doing it that get there. And it's, you know, there's lots of factors that go into it. But if you ask a person who's usually, not all, but most, at the top of their game what their why is, it's very different than fame. Yeah, I very rarely get from someone that I'm working with it at the higher level of, of performance or even performing artist. I very rarely, if ever, I'm a, I can't even think of one that I've ever had say to me, to be famous or to have, you know, something more superficial. It's always about, it's a passion. They have a belief in something or they found a way to manage their anxiety or stress growing up and putting it into this. And this is, a, there's always very depth reasons that come from internal, emotional, right at the center of their soul or their heart. Yeah. And it comes outward versus the inward out. It's very rare to see it in that direction. So, so, Lou, what's your why? Well, I want to go back to athletics oh, okay. for a minute. Okay. No, no, it's the same, okay. it's the same topic. Okay. I had another question, but I want to okay. go, now that we're on the athletic subject, the reason, as I'm thinking back, the reason I wanted to compete yeah. and play whatever sports I was playing at the time was because I was good at it. Right. And that was a different feeling than what I felt the rest of my life was. Right. In other words, you know, wasn't, maybe I wasn't as good in life as I was an athlete. I was, a, you know, I was respected, get some praise. You know, felt confident, so could go got, out and do so it. So your why partially was because the why is I have confidence. I do it because it gives me confidence. I it feel gives me better respect. as an athlete than I right. do as a, you know, in my other life. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a, And that's, that's in probably a very large portion of the answers I get, you know, in some form of that is that it makes, it gives you some sort of completeness. Because athletics are, is quantifiable and athletics is is structured it's right. like you win or you lose you right. play well or you don't play well right. it, life is a little well, more vague observable, tangible yeah. me tangible and measurable for that you right. know and it's in so that that surface thing would be a why wouldn't be to win or lose because no. win or lose is not but it's what it gives you when you is it is it the struggle of the win is it the struggle of the loss do you like the fact that you're not the status quo i mean most people who have a strong why 
are going away from being status quo. They're not going towards the average center. And that doesn't mean you have to be a top performing athlete. It just means that you can have to have that, that feeling, the passion inside of you yeah. to, you know, I mean, there's plenty of athletes that are out there on the field that just feel amazing about doing what they're doing, but don't go on to college. Don't go on to pro. Don't go on to performing arts and go to Juilliard or whatever. They just have enough of their yep. why to feel good about themselves. Plus the quantifiable aspect of sports is intriguing too, because life is not quantifiable. Right. Life is very vague. You're fishing most of the time. You're throwing darts a lot of the time. Right. Or it felt that way for me. Right. It but is. in But in sports, you up your time, you do something a little better, you lower your golf score. Right. You know, that's t well, tangible imperial, empirical evidence. And, and so, and I think that that's... It's like, yes, I accomplished something. Right. And so you have a way to check mark the box to say, I've done this, or I've, I mean, going back to, you know, the marathon reference is that people want a PR, you know, personal record each time, you know, yep. even if it's a second, it's worthwhile for that race to happen again to say, I'm going to come back next year. And if I beat it by a second, the yep. elation, that the limbic, that emotional center feels based on just that one second time off is amazing to drive you to do it again and again. Well, this is that's a grand scale version of I know people are told a lot to uh, keep checklists and yes. the, uh, the rush that you get just from checking off things, small things. You have right. four or five things in the day you have to do. Just crossing it off or checking it off gives you a little bit of a boost because you accomplish something. Right. As even as minor as it is, of course, the marathon's on a different scale. Right. Yeah. But you could do that on anything. It's just about not, you know, it's, it, do you end up making a choice during the day to sit and do nothing? Right. Knowing that that list is there, you know, if we just put it in those ta that tangible term is that, you know, you have a list of 10 things you have to do, want to do, need to do, yet they still sit and they still sit and they still sit. And then if I was sitting with a client that had that, I'd say, why aren't you doing it? And the answers often are not related to why. There's justifications yeah. and reasons that are about the result of not doing it. But it's not like why. And I usually call out the why. It's because I'm unmotivated. I don't have a belief to do it. I don't think it's going to make me feel any better. I don't even think that way. Yeah. The, but the why typically is that other side that's like, uh, why? Because I, you know, I, something else got in the way. I don't have time. I love hearing that because when people who are sitting at home, doing nothing yep. and tell you that they're doing nothing and then at the same sentence end say i don't have time yeah yeah right yeah. because they're not thinking think that, about that for a second re-examine right, that thinking yeah. about what they're saying yep. and how that's actually manifesting in the dean motivation of something or the procrastination or um you know the the more you the more busy the more busy you are the more time you actually have and people always look at you like, what do you mean? Yeah. But it is, it's true. Hence me running in here today, <laughs> right? I can fit it all in. My shoes yeah. might not be tied, but I'm here, right? So it's, it, but it's that thing of like when you are downtime and you're not doing anything, you will come up with, well, I don't have time. Well, what are you doing with your time? Well, I watched, you know, eight hours of Netflix and, you know, I played three hours of video games and I ate and I went yeah. to the bathroom. I let the dog out. Hmm but you don't have time to go out for a 10 minute walk or, you know, write that, that email you needed to do right. that was due a week ago or. Yeah. Well, I'm driven a little differently. I got in a little trouble last night because I'm one of these people when I cook, yeah. I'm cleaning while I'm cooking. Oh, I do that too. Like I finish, you know, if I'm not done with that pan while the rest of it's cooking, I'll clean the pan. And then I was a little late getting to the table after I served it because I was finishing up cleaning Yeah. and you know, come eat. And I guess the food tastes better when the work is done. Right. You know, and that, that's, 
kind of the thing. It's just it's sitting there with the dishes there to go back to after you eat. You know, that's not good for me. So, but why do you do that? Why? What is the real why? What is the emotional thing that is is driving you to do that? Okay, see, that gets really deep. See, that, yeah. <laughs> right, right. You don't have to answer it. But no, that, uh, that gets really deep because, and it goes back to my the other question I had before I get distracted by the athletics. When I start thinking about the whys in my life yeah. right now, and I'm wondering if they're acceptable answers now because I discounted money right away. Like you say, why do you do what you do? What do you do for a living? Uh, why do you do it? And most people will say, got to earn money, got to pay the bills. Right. And that's you got to get that one aside. We, that's understood, but that's not your why. So when I first started thinking about the first stage of my life, which was post high school and college, right. it was like you're building a life. And I don't right. know if that's an acceptable answer. You're trying to build for the future a little bit. And then when you have when you become a parent, it's like everything's about the kids. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a legitimate answer either. Well, those are, I mean, they're still externals. So those are all yeah. legitimate answers. I mean, no answer is not legitimate. It's just where does it place within the context of how, of yeah. why, how, and what. So go, back to the dinner you're gonna thing. Ha your why is going to, if you look at like what you just said about like having children and having their best life or whatever, that's, that's how you're getting to your why, but we still don't know what your why is. You mm -hmm. had children for what reason? Not to give them a good life. That's a, that's a result of having them for another reason. But why did you have children? Did you have children because you wanted to be fulfilled more? Did you feel like you had something to pass on? Was it inspired by something? Like there's other pieces that are sort of internal to that circle that is in yeah. your soul or the seat of your heart of you. It was driving you because you wanted to share your life experience or you, you want to have children so that you could pass on something that your parents didn't give you um, because you really felt like th that was something missing and you wanted to, you know, propagate that forward or i mean those kinds of things are the belief system behind the how and the what yeah so the dinner one when you d took me deep yeah. when you asked the question it's about the thing in my life right now the stage of my life and right now my why is peace right my why is i've gone through everything i've done everything i've accomplished what i need to accomplish there's nothing else to do all i want to do is live in peace right for however long time however long a time i've got left without the demons in my head and right. all the things that I've dealt with in the past. So the where dinner fits into that in the dishes is that I want to sit down and have dinner, and then I want to sit down after dinner, and I don't want to worry about the dishes. So so that is a, that it would be the why, is that I want to be at peace and not have chaos yeah. after I actually complete this particular behavior. I don't want to sit down after dinner and go, oh, God, i got to do the dishes. Right. That, that's not peace. That's disturbance. Right. Right. So that's a great why. So yeah. that's actually the you it's it goes back to the you're driven by the choices that you make are going to lead you back to peace. So if you choose to do your dishes before you sit down to eat and as you go to sit peacefully, then afterwards you're already accomplishing that goal. So it makes you feel at ease. And that would be within the heart, and that's what's driving that particular thing. Yeah. And a little OCD. A, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit, sure. Right, right. But yeah, but I'm, that's not how you are in everything. My ex-wife gave me that. Your ex-wife gave you OCD? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, uh, um, the house was, she stored a lot of stuff. She keeps a lot of stuff. And it, at times in the house, it was Walking across the room was a challenge. Right. So now I'm living here by myself. You can see baseboards. It's like it's very minimalist because that wasn't that was the clutter bothered me. Right. You know, right. I didn't realize it till I got to that point. But the clutter kind of 
the clutter disturbs your peace, right? Well, so yeah, so yeah. that so that's a really good point. I mean, in keeping with the theme of your why, so let's we'll talk a little bit about OCD and and hoarding, for instance, right? Yeah. Um, extreme examples are always useful for these things. So, um, it, the intensity around chaos. <laughs> out this morning, just to give you an idea oh. where I am in my life. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend was over with her daughter and her friend, and they did a fire out in the beach section of my yard uh -huh. in front of the shed. I walked out this morning, and I rearranged the fire pit and the chairs to look nice because they had moved it like a foot. Yeah. So on my way to work, that's what I did. <laughs> I don't know because, okay, I don't so, know what happened to me. I don't know so, when I got to be that guy. So, okay, so that's a really common thing. It's yeah. kind of like people that don't leave the house without all the dishes being done. Even if there's one in the sink, you can't leave, like, one spoon, one yeah. glass, one cup, whatever. Um it's that it's the intensity of the experience of the chaos. Even it's it's how you're perceiving. It's how yeah. you're interpreting the chaos in in your life. It might not be even anything to me that the chairs were one way or another. Um, I have a little piece of this too. So yeah. I like I know when people. I'll talk about that in a second because I'll give one of my friends a little kudo for what they do to me. They love torturing me. <laughs> um, but it's it's the intensity of the experience of you know if something's in chaos and something's overwhelming. The, your anxiety goes up. And yeah. in order to get control over the environment, you clean it, you obsess about it, you go to one extreme or the other on the continuum to make sure it, in management of your actual anxiety. So people who have PTSD, clutter and chaos around them, like materialistically, is never a good thing. Yeah. You, know? Yeah. Um, you know, people who have high anxiety and live in really messy rooms or whatever, not good, you know. So when you look at a hoarder, and, you know, you think about Hoarders on TV, the, that yep. show. I, I'm always very fascinated by the fact that, you know, I don't think they really talk about it very much, even though they identify the person's usually anxious or they have trauma or all the things that really we know are under underside of it. But the, the chaos that they live on in is the thing that they have to get rid of to make it better. But the struggle to get rid of right. all of that is the real issue because the, they hold on to... Um, the meaning of that, even right. though you could explain all day long that, hey, all this stuff around you is making you worse. They intellectually know it, but it's like when they actually right. feel it, you know, you see someone that gets to the end product and all of a sudden. <sighs> is it because the bigger chaos is the unknown of letting go of this item? Right. What and happens, what what happens when that's gone and I need right. it? Right. So it's know? better to sit in the chaos right. than not because, you know, you dance with the devil you know, the, the, the devil you don't. Right. And you could, you know, psychologists will sit and explain that all day long and you watch that on that prime show. It was like over and over again and people are in tears and they can't do it and yep. you know and you get to the end product in many of the cases and all of a sudden they're like i'm so glad i did this and they go into therapy and because it's all these rooted rooted issues at their why yep. they're doing it it's you know traumatic attachment issues trauma sexual abuse um growing up in alcoholic and drug-induced homes um, you know, having, you know, there's so many reasons or having, you know, massive losses over time or, um, you know, growing, it, it, there's so many pieces to that, right. but it creates the chaos or even sometimes just as simple as learning from another, um, a parent growing up that living in chaos just transfers over to living in chaos. You know, you, monkey see, monkey do. It's like, I'm going to follow like right along, you know, I, yep. can, I, I mean, I go into, you know, I have a couple people that have hoarding homes and I go in and. I've had organizational people come in and we've done the whole yeah. thing. And, and it is hard work because to get people to stay and maintain that and not fall back into what they know versus because they, yeah. they don't know it enough in that limbic area to know that the why 
to keep it clean or to keep it organized is going to help them get the anxiety away rather than keeping the why that keeps it there. Right. But the, most people don't know the why. It's, I have no idea why I do this. Plus, there's a certain point where the balance of um, you could throw, because most people with the hoarders, I, I did a show where they had a guy on who dealt with hoarders on a repeated basis. Yeah. And obviously, they start with baby steps you know, mm -hmm. to go back to another show and, you know, let go of this or, right. or let go of that. And the problem is, I think at that stage is people don't understand because if they let go of this one thing that they could possibly let go of, it doesn't change anything. Right. All it does is add to the chaos because the the reason they're holding on to it in the first place. Right. Going against it. So that baby steps are hard for them because they don't see any results and from it. Something's coming through the wall, by the way. Did wow. you just hear that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> they're coming through the wall. Um, well, so the baby steps, so that's usually when I start with a hoarder, you know, you look at something as a big picture, and you can generalize this to any topic we're talking about. If you look at the big picture of something that's really overwhelming, right, mm -hmm. and you ask someone, you know, how and what to do here, not only do they not know their why, they're not going to know how and what to do because you look at a house with three floors and it's all stacked to the ceiling with stuff. Yep. They look at it and it's shut down mode. Yep. I, I can't, what, how, why, that's all just a big jumble. But yep. when you say, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to clean this square five feet today. That's all we're doing. All of a sudden, it blocks out everything right. else to be able to go, oh, that's not that bad. It's in the same in sports. It's like you want to get someone off the couch and get them going. You don't say, let's go run a 5K. You say, no. let's walk five minutes. Yep. And it's the little baby step that's incremental to getting to, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this so that I can feel better or that I can get rid of that stuff or I can know how to live my life better? I'm feeling happier. I'm feeling at peace, whatever yeah. that is, you know. And the hoarding thing also takes a leap of faith, which is difficult for people because they have to they're dealing with the anxiety of giving up whatever right. it is they're hoarding. And what you're telling them is that you will be happier and more relaxed once it's all gone and holding on to it is the thing that's keeping them in their minds happy and relaxed. Right. So they have to take it on faith. They don't see the connection. And taking it on faith for someone at that level yeah. of intensity is super hard for them because because now what I'm doing, so if I put myself in a psychology position and in a doctor position and saying, now my why is their why. I know why. They should do yeah. it. They need to do it. What would be helpful for them? I know the why. And people ask me all the time in my office, like, well, why should I do that? And like, or how do I do it or what? I just go, I can tell you why. I can tell you how and what. But at the end of the day, it has to come from a belief in you to be able to do it. So I can yeah. tell you all of it. But if you don't feel what I feel, then you have to find a way to believe in that yourself. So, you know, if some, you know, mantras, this is a good example of someone will say, let's do mantras and affirmation a day. And a lot of docs that I've, colleagues that I have, will give their clients a mantra. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I give an example, and then I say, this is something I believe in. I use my own personal to give that because yeah. I show them, this is what I believe in. This is what gets me to run five miles or whatever or do something. Now, if you want to, if you want to lose five pounds in the next ten days, give me a mantra that you could use that you believe in to help you stay away from the refrigerator. Yeah. Mine's going to be very different than yours. Right. And all of a sudden, you can see it clicking with, oh, you know, what do you believe in? You know, well, I don't want this. The mantra is going to be the why. 
Right. And, yeah. a, and a lot of, now you get a lot, like if we take the frame of reference of food, right, people will say, I can't eat it. I always get people away from I can't. No. Not, not some of the time. Like I use always on purpose. I always get people away from I can't. You can absolutely eat whatever you want. Yep. It's I don't want it. I don't need it. I could have it another time. It's a, and that, that semantic alone goes to the why. Why? Because I want to lose weight. And if I tell myself I can't have something, the likelihood is I'm going right back yeah. down that path. Denial doesn't not work. fitting my why. Yeah. Why am I doing this? Because I want to feel better about myself. So if I eat the thing that I can't, then I automatically don't feel good about myself because cake, cookies, chips is associated with that. I can't, therefore, bad. Yep. So it's the why is out of the out of the picture at that point. So why do that? So it's about I don't want that. I don't need that right now. What could I have different? If I'm hungry truly, then I go for something else because my why has to be in there. You have to be thinking about your purpose each day. Right. Like is my purpose today to be happy? Okay, great. How are you going to do that? How and what? So I'm going to make sure that I listen to people today. And like yesterday, I said my purpose of yesterday was to make sure I was a good listener for all my clients so that they would feel heard and um, have good advice from me or that they knew that I had been paying attention and validated their experience. Now, is that my actual why for the day? No, but that was my why for what I was doing. Right. Right. So, and those little pieces are important. I mean, this takes practice. I mean, to ask someone to all of a sudden break it down like I'm doing, I mean, I've done this for a long time. So, but it's about overall why, why is your day? You know, what's your purpose today to make someone smile? I have people just simply go out and say, Hey, your purpose today is make someone smile. And you practice that. And all of a sudden you get, I have the cl my class practice that I say, go out and see if you can get people to smile. Yeah. People come back the next week. I'm like, that was hard. <laughs> yeah, because it's, now you're in an activated area to actually practice something that gives you a belief to move yourself forward and actually make you feel like, wow, I could actually do something to generate someone to be happy and do a why that is meaningful. It moves the emotional center. It's all those things. It's an emotional checklist. Yeah. As opposed to a practical checklist. Exactly. And once you, and, and that's an interesting kind of motivation because once you accomplish something, you know, it just spurns you on other things. It, that sense of accomplishment. Right. And and the motivation to go forward with that, right? Yes. Yeah. Because it, cause it's the, it's the, um, it's like the scaffolding. I think we talked a little bit about it last week is, is building on a scaffold. Well, I actually think I talked about it in my class last week. So your <laughs> scaffolding, which is a, a, like a, a social cognitive construct of theory of that you learn by scaffolding, you know, you're basically, if you have a good ground and you have good concrete in the ground, then your scaffold is built on top of the next, on top of the next, on top of the next. And um, if you don't have that, it's kind of bounces all over the place. And, it, you know, it's like you, you know, all the metaphors for being on shaky ground or, you know, imagine putting, you know, a house up on stilts in the beach yep. versus yeah. you have good pilings and you, and you build them up from the bottom up and give them good ground. Um, in psychology and working with anybody with like their why is if you don't have good ground and you don't know why you're doing something, you're all over the place. And the typically. takeaway, the takeaway here, I think, is that um, preferably or almost always, it's in, it's got to be an internal. Yes. Yeah. So why is the why is if you work from why internal out, it's going to be much more successful. If you go from your what you do, for example, to how you do it 
into why you do it, you lose, it's like you lose um, energy. The energy coming from out in is lost because it never actually has to get to the center or the the core right. or the, you know, the, the soul or the seat of the soul, whatever you want to use. But when you come from a place of today, I'm doing this because I want peace. So every response I make today is with intention and mindfulness that I'm going to be at peace. So no matter what, that's my goal because I'm strong and convicted. Now, how I do that is I'm not going to react in a poor way. If something is upsetting to me, I'm not going to jump on it emotionally. And, you know, and what am I going to do? That's my behavior. I'm not going to engage people. I'm not going to respond online. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to have road rage. That's a very different experience no, than no, saying... I'm not giving that up. Do I? <laughs> I'm not giving road rage up. Right. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> and there's another hour of therapy for Lou. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but when you reverse it and you start saying, okay, now do that whole example I just gave and start from the outside in. By the time it gets to the yeah. why, it's really hard to be tangible around that because you lose... You don't, you don't have the emotional drive to figure out how to do that, how to get there. It's, it's lost by the time. It's like, what do you do? You know, I, I, I listen to people all day. How do you do it? I sit. Yeah. Why? Cause I'm supposed to. Yeah. I, I mean that cause you, I don't, I don't have the feel. It's like when I say, why do I do this today to be at peace? Like, it, Oh, it drives the whole thing differently. And when you have that in mind, your actual motivation, procrastination goes away more than any yeah. time when you do this particular type of thing. When you ask someone what their why is, it's like a very different passion experience to get people to do it. That's why it works so well when I work with athletes and, and I really sit with them and cognitively push through of like getting down to that and then what, and then what, and then what, and then they realize why do I do this? And sometimes I have athletes where, you know, they've tapped out and not wanted to be an athlete. And realize their why is not their why. Yeah. Their why is for their parent, their coach. It's right. to get to that. And we'll ad nauseum, make sure over and over and over again. I've had a, I had a gymnast just recently in the past two years that was elite. Yep. And she was very good. Yep. And, and she was struggling. And it's, you know, it was coming into the Olympics this year. You know, we're having all kinds of stuff. And, I mean, now it's sort of foregone because now she, no Olympics, you know. But yeah. the point being is that when we were doing her why, her why was not her why. Yeah. Her why was motivated by other people's whys, what's, how's. And she was living in for other people. And, you know, she's brilliant gymnast, amazing, knows that. But to continue on to do it, she just didn't have the emotional right. why enough because it was like, eh. you know, and so the, so we talked it through like you're going to, you know, you're going to fall short of what you, you want. And she was like, but that's not even what I want. It's what so-and-so wants. Yeah. So Big. the, so it transitioned and, and then it came into, she didn't even want to go to college for it. She doesn't like all these things that everybody else wanted, you know, it was, you know, her parents' why was, you know, I want... <laughs> Why is she doing it so that we don't have to pay for college? Yeah. You know, all the, you know, the results of her success, but that's not really a why for her. And so I said, why are you doing gymnastics? There has to be a love. There has to be something that, you know, makes you above average. And she couldn't even, at the level she was at, that the motivation from externals was driving her. The fear of disappointing someone was her why. 
Yeah. And that was not, that's, you know, that's the toxic, unhealthy end of, it was making her successful, but to her detriment. So outwardly to the world and, you know, everyone on ESPN and everyone in TV, it was like, she's a superstar. But at the end of the day, she was like, I'm doing this for someone else yep. because I'm afraid to upset them. This is the basic conflict, right? I mean, external wise as opposed to internal. When you go externally, you give up control. You cede control. Right. Your, your control is external of you. Right. And you're just going along with it. Right. And that's the basic life struggle, right? Understanding how much control you actually have because most people live not understanding the control over the circumstance that they have, right. which doesn't mean everybody can be rich, doesn't mean right. everybody can be famous, but you're, it's funny getting into another subject that I've been into lately, um, your control over the quality of your, your peace of mind right. is largely yours. You have more control than, you, than most people probably right. realize. Right. In fact, most, pe most people think they don't have any control. Right, and especially kids. I mean, so I'm talking about oh, a person God, that's yeah. like 17, Yep. And so you're, you know, even, you know, if we talk about adults, there's plenty of adults I see. Most adults I see have no idea of this concept either. You right. have to really work it. It's part of the cognitive behavioral strategy of working through therapy in a, in a healthy way to get a person on their life course. Um, but you're talking about a kid who has no idea other than, you know, I'm telling you what to do. I'm a coach. I'm a parent. I'm one telling well, you what to do. Well, life control for so them. You, I don't have control over this decision. Yeah. If I tell my parent I don't want to do this yeah. anymore, which is what I would hear, you know, my question always to kid athletes when they're at high levels, particularly in having these issues, not to say that the other kids don't, but it's more often in these higher end athletes, I'll say, do you really want to do this? And the the drop of shoulders when they get, and, I, and I'll say, I will not tell your parent or whoever you're worried about, because right. I can usually read it and they're like, no, I yeah. don't. And then the, yep. it's, it, you know, and then usually tears or, there's, you know, women, boy, you know, every, it doesn't matter. It's just that relief of, I don't, I'm not doing this for me. And it's so relieving. Sometimes it's motivated people then to be able to find a why to be able to continue on and doing it. Well, I was thinking you transfer that because right. in, the, in the example you talked about with the gymnasts, where yeah. they're talking about free college, mm -hmm. scholarship money is a big part of parenting right now. Right. College costs are through the roof. Right. And, and, you know, I remember looking at my son at one point and he goes, do you ever think about playing the tuba? <laughs> Because college bands, there's more, there's more scholarship money yeah. for that, right? There you go. <laughs> I mean, he's playing saxophone. But you take that from my parents want me to be a good athlete so I can get a scholarship and cut into the costs of, of higher education or perhaps pay for it to I want to cut the costs of higher education right. so I can go to this good school so that I can, you know. And how many kids do you know? Or how many kids do I know that I've ever met that actually have that knowledge at that point when they're thinking, when they're 14, 15, right. and 16, thinking money, monetary value and money and how to move that forward? Like, but I have what, a few, but, but it's what they, more often than not not. But what they do know is that pro they probably have the concept of I want to go to a good school and I want to do, I want to study this. And maybe they want to go to their parents' school. They want to go whatever school. Right. You know, for me, growing up, it was Notre Dame and, right. you know, that type of thing. And they, it changes the location of that why from my parents want me to get this scholarship to I want to get this scholarship. Right. 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 And that's a big change. Nothing really changes, but it's, it's the approach to their athletics. It, they're sure. doing it for them. Sure. As opposed to doing it for the parents. Right. And, and, you're, and when you see and you have someone that says, I 
want to do it for a scholarship, man, the the whole psyche and the whole conversation is very different than yep. one that's coming from that other space. Um, and it's so great to have that because you yep. move it. It's it's inspiring in a lot of ways. It has passion behind it. You can tell it's not being externalized, internalized. Yep. It's, it's coming from within of confidence and all those things. Even if the athlete isn't, you know, you could be a D3 and a D2, you know, athlete, you know, where, you know, people always go for the D1, you know, yeah. the schools, but it's the athlete has the drive. I just want to have this. I want to have this. Why? And they know why. And they'll right. tell you why. And wow, the difference in conversation language is the language you're looking for is in there because it's the language that's driven by the emotional center right. of how much it means to them. And it's not usually followed with winning being at a number one school, it's about how to continue on their passion in a way they want to, plus getting an education yep. paid for so that they can go on and do these next things because they're sort of already planning out another piece of it. Yeah, it, it's about the difference. And this is a classic child syndrome, especially late teens. It's like, right. uh, I want to go to BC. Well, do you want to go to BC or does your father want right. you to go to BC because right. he went there? And right. it's like, you know, finding finding that truth as opposed to finding your truth as opposed to their truth. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I mean, I, prime example, I have, I have a couple kids, so I can kind of generalize it that, you know, from their youth, you know, peewee hockey, right? Go right back to, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? Setting them right up for, you know, moms and dads and not just dads, you know, back in the day when I first started this, it was a lot of dads. Oh no, now it's, no, yeah. it's I got a lot of moms into hockey and moms are like right there being at five and six years old, you know, I'm, you know, it's, we're going to BC. I'm like, they're five. Yep. You know, it's like the, the kids that come in on ice skaters and gymnasts that, you know, moms and dads are going, we're going to the Olympics. I'm like, they're five. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They've just gotten their coordination skills down and they're just getting off the crate, pushing it around the ice. But nonetheless, yeah. we're going to BC and going to the Olympics, you know, because every parent is proud of their kid, which is great. But I always do a reality check of like, we have to make sure that we see what they want to do. I think I told you, I was a level one hockey official yes. for about 15 years. Yes. And every game is the seventh cup of the finals. Yeah, yeah. And it's worse the younger, the younger you are. Yeah. The, oh. young, the younger kids are worse with the parents and, and everything that's going on. Do you remember back? I, I, mean, this, I don't know if our listeners will remember this. This was a while back, probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, when, when Cambridge and the whole soccer area around Cambridge, the, all the officials went to quiet no parents talking session, oh, yes, like yes, the yes. game. Remember that? Yep. Cause I was like, oh, this is beautiful. So it was sort of back at the beginning of like me doing full full sports psych back in the late 90s. And I was like, oh, that's a perfect thing yeah. because it was, cause it, it was you know, sort of around like the time that the hockey thing happened where there was a murder with the referee yep. and the father and then the kids on the soccer field and parents sideline coaching and screaming and the pressure. And I, I did a little consult on some of that. And then all of a sudden, I think Cambridge and a couple other towns went to complete no sideline yeah. chatter, nothing. It was silent. Wow, what a difference the games yeah. were. I mean, so much better because <laughs> there's not all that intensity around the the why of parents being like, my kid's better than yours, and, yeah. and they're going to go to BC. They're going to go to Villanova. They've got a scholarship to going to the Colorado Training Center. And that's all the chatter that happens. And then it comes out in these screaming matches and the refs are idiots and all these, oh my gosh, you know, you're taking away from your five-year-old experience of just being able to run the ball in the right direction and not, you know, hurt themselves. Yeah. And by the way, have some fun and come home and have some ice cream. Right. As opposed to you're playing for a scholarship for BC. And I try to, I try to, you know, impart to parents even now that 
you actually can be a top-level athlete, a top-level performing artist, pianist, singer, actor, top of your game in being a biologist and biochem person, whatever it is, and you actually can still have fun. They yep. don't have to be separated out. And people, there's some people that get into that thing of like, oh, do you believe in everyone should get a trophy? No. no. Everyone shouldn't get a trophy. That's not the, everyone should learn how to fail because failure gives you an opportunity to learn. And you have to be able to be realistic with, with yourself and your, and your kids about the fact that life has these, these continuums to be able to find purpose. They have to find their own sense of purpose and why. Yep. Why are you still playing at five years old when you were going at, to the rink at four in the morning and you were coming home, going to school, coming back at seven o'clock at night and you're five or six? Yep. At 14, do you really still want to be doing that? And sports psychology, all the research over the years has always told us that most kids that have come up through, by the time they get to around 12 or 13 years old, the numbers have moved a little bit over the past you know, decade, but by and large, 12 or 13, either a kid is going forward or if they're going to not go forward and they're done, it's that age. It right. ends. All that, because the why is not sure. theirs anymore. And usually it comes, there's a couple other factors, but that one's a big one is that when you ask them in interviews and in qualitative research, why are they not wanting to do it? They've lost interest because the passion for it wasn't there. It was someone else's. Well, that's where they start the question. Because right. you tell a five-year-old right. or a six-year-old, you're going to play hockey. They go, all right, I'm going to play hockey. Right. They're not questioning the motivation. They're right. just you know, right. this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, and not even... Because different. Yeah, they don't Because it's supposed to be that way. Yeah. It's like, doesn't everyone do this? Doesn't everyone go to the rink every morning or go to the swimming pool every day and yeah. do this every day? No. Hockey's the worst with parents because um, there's that. Have you ever seen the video of those dogs barking at each other through a, yeah. a gate? Yes. And when the gate opens, they stop barking and yes. walk away? Yes. Hockey fans, hockey parents are on the other side of the glass. They're separate. They're in the dark. And they think it's so separate that they just let everything out there's yes. no inhibitor as opposed yes. to being at a soccer field in the afternoon standing next to somebody where somebody can actually see you right you know right Although, well so it's interesting yeah. because coming from you know i go on the field i'm i'm actually hands-on at these events a lot with you know mm. my athletes and and so i would agree that hockey parents are very intense baseball parents very, very intense. intense football not so much a little bit but not like i see those other sports gymnastics very intense ice skating very intense but all a little bit different but the yep. same the same outcome of of the um external pressure yeah. to fulfill and it's you know people always say it's simply oh it's vicariously living through your children it's bigger than that it's bigger than there's that, yeah. more of it than that psychologically there's so much pressure i mean i have a a very young boy right now being um subtly maneuvered and coerced into basically that if he's not going to be a pro basketball player um, and he's just turned six, um, <laughs> if he's not going to be a pro basketball player, he's going to live under a bridge. Really? Yes. So that's a problem. Wow. Right. That's what he's being told? Yes. Those are his options? That, yeah. And so, wow. but it's, and so when addressed, it's, it's funny, haha, not, but the message is there. Yep. So, Although a parent might be thinking that's funny, and it's you know, and parents say, oh, "I'm just joking, haha." Well, a no. five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old brain has now latched onto the perception of, if I don't do this and be successful in the way that my parent, who is my idol at that point, right, is then I'm going to live under a bridge in a box. Okay, 
so then now, you know, it's like now we're not talking about a kid's why. Now we're trying to undo, you know, damage. And yeah. then, you know, parents saying it doesn't really mean anything. They don't really get it. Like that. No, it's actually emotionally emotionally blackmailing your child into yeah. what you want them to do and what if what if they don't have that ability and they're six and what could be what could be worse than reducing life to a zero-sum game right it's like it's zero-sum it's like you're a bum or you're an nba player right and they're going to take that principle everywhere in life right it, and well, it's and so all I, or nothing right so I, I i educate parents who say things along those lines oftentimes with like you may have been tongue-in-cheek and you may have been funny but the interpretation of your child is what's going to last with them and so you have to, you know, you have to remember that that sits on your child, but also, you know, they have to create their own why they're doing this. And if they're doing it to become an NBA star, it goes back to 1% of the 1% right. of all the millions of kids that are playing basketball get that shot. But this I is mean, what... have you gone and watched Hoop Dreams? Have you watched all yeah. the documentaries on, on following kids all the way up through? Have you, you know, and... It's so much pressure and the disappointment. The child's already experiencing disappointment. Yeah. They're already feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm... Hell, even full scholarship. You know, forget the NBA. Right. Just a full scholarship. As you start to climb through levels, right. you understand... And how is a five-year-old knowing what best... a scholarship is? Yeah. But, I mean, that level of... NBA is a level of expectation. It's just, mm -hmm. just, just out there, just totally out there. Again, going to a Division One school on a full scholarship... The percentage of kids who get to do that, I mean, that, that's highly elite as well. Exactly. And you all, you have no idea whether that kid's got it at six or not. Right, okay, when right. The participation trophy yeah. that you brought up is the more insidious part of this because yeah. that's external as well. Doing it for the participation trophy is um, doing it for an external goal, which, by the way, is going to end up in the closet, in the bottom right. of the closet, in the trash right. a couple weeks from now. Um, but... The realistic goal is a kid can go to a game, doesn't have to be the star athlete, can go out and enjoy the experience, whether he loses the big game or not, or whether he loses every game or not, right. and come home with an enjoyable experience and having had fun. Right. That's the participation trophy, not exactly. an external trophy. Exactly. And that's what you should be after. Exactly. But, you, you know, the tangibles are the measurables. And so having the trophy or having the medal is super yeah. important because, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people that, you know, and a lot of a lot of child psychologists, a lot of educational well, psychologists. Well, having a merit trophy or or medal is good. Right. Because we're a meritocracy. Right. And you should strive to do as well as you can. Right. But it shouldn't be zero sum as you, you know, Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. Exactly. It's not, it's not right. the way life people works. People have to learn, and that yeah. so that's to the point of like I I'm you know it's, it, last week, it's great. I love my Boston Marathon medals, but I don't do it for the medal. If I didn't get the medal at the end, I would still do it because of the what the meaning of the marathon is and why I why, my why for doing it is is enough to get me through. So, so in that way, that's a a merit medal. Yeah. Right versus. Everyone goes out on the soccer field and everyone gets it and they just show up. They didn't really do anything. Yeah. There was nothing really involved. But, you know, your kid sat in the car crying and they still get a medal because they showed up to the. the it's yeah. there's no. Your marathon medals aren't participation trophies. Right. There is a level of accomplishment right. that's needed to get to that point. Exactly. It's, it's a symbol of a level of, of accomplishment. Of, exactly. So yeah. then there's a difference. In, and people have a hard time understanding that, that, well, my child was there. Your child was there, but they didn't really participate. They didn't actually do what needed to be, you know, they, you signed them up for 10 classes and they came for two and they still get the medal. 
or the trophy. Yeah. Or they didn't, you know, they sat on the sidelines every week because they were too afraid to go out. Like, whatever it is, it still should be teaching the lesson of there is a first and there is a last. And there's nothing wrong with being last because eventually you aren't going to be last. And you will not always be first. And being able to move around that, I mean, that's a such a great lesson in life flexibility and adjustment. And people mm-hmm. get so rigid and so compartmentalized into if I'm not first, it's catastrophe. Right. It's the end of the world. It's terrible. And and that's not that's not gonna get you into the best success rate. You know, it's 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 that um the demon on your back that keeps you held down from your next goal. It gets the fear of failure, the fear of success in the way, which is a big part of what I do for a living with athletes is why aren't you as successful as you want to be? Why? Yeah. Because I'm I'm held down by my fear of success and my fear of failure because if I'm at the top and it sounds so strange but if I'm at the top then what if I'm not at the top right. and if I fail what if I never get to the top because I always it's and that is a I would say 9 times out of 10 athletes I'm w- working with the fear that that subconscious what if I fail what if I succeed well level ath- levels of athleticism in a particular sport it's really it's an interesting challenge to the personality because you start out, let's use baseball, for example. Yeah. You start out in baseball and you're a little leaguer and you're a pretty good little leaguer. Right. Right? And then you go to AEU and you're a pretty good AEU guy. And, yeah. you know, you, you, you're playing and you're traveling around a little bit. Then the bases go to 90 feet. And yeah. you're good, but you're not the best anymore. Anymore. Right. right. And then you get up to high school level and you're still good, but you're not even maybe top half and it's more of a struggle and right. the athletes are a lot better and more is expected of you and you go from that personality of being a little leaguer i was a damn good little leaguer till you're in high school and you're in college and it's like i'm struggling making a team team that's a tough that's self-identity right there right. and that that's it's really tough to modify your self-identity especially downgrading your self-identity and that's and that and it, that's why um healthy parenting and healthy coaching is such an important part of of reality building around confidence for kids in that way Mm -hmm. is being able to keep you know some great athletes that i see in my practice have really solid parental and coaching backgrounds around them that are that are reality based they don't tear the kid down or the you know the adult down and they don't build them up over the top you know i mean you have people that you're nothing. You're never going to be anything. And that just, you know, we we have found, and I actually did research in my dissertation years ago on using a shame-based model. When you're shaming someone, is it demotivating or motivating or is it dual motivating? Yeah. And so by and large, we find that a shame-based coaching style or shame-based um parenting style leads to the insecurities of a child or an adult you know especially if they're more vulnerable to that because usually if it's a parent style they've already raised their kid in that environment this is just a move over to the sport aspect of it and then there's usually coaches i mean there's you know how many coaches do you know in lots of different sports that are very shame-based oh you're terrible you're never going to be anything or they don't really know how to coach the right way versus someone who's like you know that authoritative person the warm praising yet setting an expectation teaching the expectation well yeah that's the difference and there's a big difference you know you know i go you know people ask me to come in and help coaches with teams i you know i last fall i went in and did a big coaching thing um with a division one team and it was the team was having an issue and then it was really actually at the coaching level because the coaching level was when i watched some stuff happening it was a, a constant do it do it better 
uh, or, yeah. you know, run it faster. Okay. How? Yeah. How? How? And I, so I would say to the coaches, I'm like, how? Well, they have to run faster. How? Yeah. I already knew the answer, but they, they're like, well, they know how to run faster. I'm like, no, they don't. Well, they're college level. I understand that. But when you tell someone, I'll put it in gymnast mode, when I tell someone on a balance beam that they need to keep their legs straighter, I don't just go keep your legs straight. I say you have to actually squeeze your quad to get your legs straight when yep. you're in that. And then all of a sudden it happens. It's just that extra little piece, not assuming that someone knows how to do it, that gives a person confidence because you're like, you're telling them how to do it, right. which then builds their why. I'm doing this because I love my coach and my coach has given me the right skills to be able to do what I love versus kids coming home or adults coming home going, oh my God, the coach is just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. They just told me to run faster. Yeah. How do you run faster? I'm not doing well, but I have no idea how to fix how, it. Right. And that's yeah. one of the biggest complaints. And when I go in and do like a consult for a team, the team will tell me the coaches don't tell us how. They just tell us to do. How many times, though, when you talk about the difference between shame coaching and authoritative coaching, Yeah. how many times have you heard that there was this coach that somebody had that was a real ass? Oh, yeah. And was on you all the time. Yeah. But a couple of years after it, next level up, you're going, I love that coach. Yeah. Because they had the trick of being on you and, as you said, set expectations as opposed to shaming. Right. And But when you accomplished it, you got the, you got the you reward. Got the re you got the results and it gave you right. what you were going towards for yourself. You got Absolutely. a little bit of approval from him or her. Her, right. And it, it, you knew it was earned. Right. It wasn't, and you knew, and you knew as opposed to just being shamed because that was the coach's style. You knew when you got corrected on something, it was because it was because of the thing that you didn't didn't right. do. Right. Right. And again, it's never vague. No, it's, it's like, always very yeah. specific and it's, to the point. It's like you didn't plant your leg on that. You got to plant your leg on that. That's you know, you right. know how many times do we got to go over it? And it's kind of shaming and it's taking out, but it's specific. It's not you know just do that better. Right? Yeah. Can't you just do it? You got to block that guy. You got to do it faster. Yeah. Yeah. Or right, you got to block him. How yeah. you're a coach? Tell and well, this is a little bit different of an issue around that. Is you know, oftentimes there'll be coaches that actually don't know. How to oh, coach sure. that, and I and I especially and I youth that, levels. And I'll ask yeah. the coach. I'm like, do you know how? I mean, I I end up knowing more in the past 25 years about sports that I ne yeah. <laughs> never thought I would know because I had to go back and do research so that I could actually help a coach teach them how to teach their athlete. Because I'd say some, I had to go and learn some of the ins and outs of some of the technical pieces yeah. of things that are you know. Fencing. I know a lot about fencing now because <laughs> because I had to go back and figure out how to get when I would hear things from a coach to a kid or, you know, a teenager saying blah, blah, blah about fencing. I'd be like, I don't I don't know how to do that, but I'm asking this person to be able. I had to go and figure it yeah. out. So and there's and there are exact ways to teach someone how to do all these things. And coming from the background I am in, you know, with gymnastics, I did way better with coaches who could tell me how to do it rather than just say, do it better. And I had plenty of coaches that would say, do it better, then would shame me. And then it was always, I would perform out of fear. It was a fear response. Yep. And many of my peers would do the same thing. I had a, a peer from Australia that she was on the national team with me and lived out in Oregon. And, and she just would be in puddles of tears every day because the coach, the coaching style, I was used to it. Yeah. I was used to it. But she was not because she came from where she was in Australia. She came here and the coaching style was just yeah. not warm and fuzzy. And so, you know, when you'd be screamed out across a gym like that, 
stunk, yeah. which wasn't the word that was used, yeah. she'd fall apart. And I, it would, it was like background noise to me. It was like, oh, whatever, yeah. you know, because you get hardened to that and it's just, you bypass it because your why is different or how your coach is different and that's how you respond. Um, but it's so important to know, you know, you, you know, and you have a team sport and I think this is why, you know, the Patriots, as much as a lot of people don't like the Patriots sometimes because of how successful they are, yep. they're successful because they all have a why individually. They all have a why together. And that's they do their performance of their their whole function together as a team because they each have individual. That's why I love them. That's why I run for them mm -hmm. for the marathon. The that, I mean, way. I'm part yeah. of the team because I have a why that lines up with the mission of being part of the New England Patriots. Yep. The Patriot way. Yeah, Do your it job. is. And people think it's like, you know, this this culty kind of thing or what. I mean, I've heard lots of things like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's not. It's really specific. And I love it because it goes right along my line of It's practice. almost the opposite of cultism because the whole do your job thing is control what you can control. This exactly. is the basic discussion here. Take Assume control of what you can control and don't try to externalize that control. Right. Do your job. Right. Do the thing don't you're tasked with. Don't get in everyone with. else's way. And yeah. it works beautifully. And, and it's like if everyone's doing their job, the team works beautifully right if if you know i'm if i'm doing my job in my section of doing what i'm supposed to do for the new england patriots foundation as a runner it all works in my favor right i don't need to worry about my 14 other team members which there are i just know they're doing their job because i i trust that they yep. have their why that's similar to mine and we're working together and when we all come together it's like you can feel it. We don't, you know, don't even have to know each other, and we all know each other because right, we all have that drive. Let's go back to the why exercises. It worked with me today because I thought it was fascinating. Okay. When when I gave you the example of I got in trouble because I didn't sit down, because I didn't do the I was doing the dishes before I sat down right. to eat. Yeah. Or finishing up as much as I could before I sat down to eat, and I said, you know, the food tastes better when the work is done. Yes. And that that's what I thought my motivation was, but as you asked and we dug down a little deeper, it's because. I want the peace. That's the important thing to yes. me. I want to sit down and have my dinner, not knowing there's a ton of dishes, you know, behind me, or I've got two more hours of work before I can sit down after dinner. After. Right. Right. So this is about finding your why. So you've got to dig down a little bit. And I guess whenever you pull up an external why, try to go further. Try to go further to right, find the internal Right. Because if it's something one. about a re think of it as if it's a result of what you're doing or why you're doing why you're doing it, it's probably not your why. Yeah. Right. So clean, you know, I do it because I want the dishes to be clean. That's an external reason right. why you're doing something. So it's a result of something. It's not why you do it. You do all of that so that you can have peace, so that you can actually, so you can enjoy the taste of it. You're not thinking about the thing that's probably going to give you stress because now you're thinking, oh, now I have to plan it back. Yeah. You're still working instead of doing something enjoyable in this context of that one particular thing is I don't want to have any of that in my way. I want that all clear. Yeah. It's kind of like when I go into my weekends, I was just telling people this it, a similar thing that you were just saying is um, I've been working, as you know, for the past four months with basically no days off, period, yeah. since the pandemic happened. And when I have those little pieces of time that I've taken, like the hike I went on or whatever, it's because in those moments I have cleared those spaces, like I've cleared my email queue, I've cleared my text queue, I've cleared my phone queue to be able to say, my that why. That didn't happen. You made that happen. I made to that To create happen. that space of so peace. My yeah. why, which was I wanted to have um, a moment for me right. that made me feel good for that day. 
And in order to do that, I needed to get rid of all that external so that my why could be there. But I had to know my why because I kept trudging along. As you know, I was trudging along, trudging along. And, you know, people were just like, oh, she's going, she's working. It's like, well, yeah, I need to take four seconds for myself. Why? Because I need some downtime to feel calm and whatever because I'm telling everyone else to do that. But in the meantime, it's like, oh, right? Right. It needs to happen. I don't want this hanging there. Right, so yeah, I can't, I, so I can't clearing, have and that's and that's the human nature. We all have yeah. to clear the cue essentially to get to our why. But it's easier to clear the cue once you know what your why is. Like I know my why is always to be able to have my fun, have my playtime, have my own time, be on like my for my own self, so that I have that. So I'm doing better for others. But I have to have that why. So it's you know I'm like oh I haven't I'm thinking, had a vacation in a while. I need to do that. I'm thinking a lot of people, though, are going to have trouble getting down to the internal because a lot of people live externally. Almost everything they do is based on an outward result. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because they've ceded the entire control of their lives and their, quote-unquote, peace of mind yes. uh, to, um, to external results. Right. Which you don't always have control over. Right. So, and, and it is a really hard thing because people, one, aren't used to the concept. It's new to a lot of people. Um it's not it's it's not your typical mainstream practice of how people are taught or socialized or parented um, for the most part because um, so, it's considered selfish y- you're yeah. probably raised with the idea it's, sel- it's concerned it's, about with your your own things is being selfish right but in fact it's not it's right. actually how to be selfless because you're taking care you know how to you know what you really want you know how to be you know, right so it's it's such a gift to the world around you because if you can be centered and calm for yourself wow what a difference it makes to other people oh, good, um, yeah. and it's a big difference so um, i have no plug on this but if you want a quick read sort of quick read you know simon sinek um, does TED Talks on the why, how, and what, and he does it for leadership and skill training and all that. I was talking about that with some some friends the other night. But um, but there's a whole bunch of different things in the past decade that have been written. But Simon Sinek is a big person that uh, does this work as his like this is what he talks about all the time is like building your why, and he yep. talks about big corporations like Apple and so on and so forth. But um, but in context of what I do, this is like how, when I'm talking about it with my, my athletes and stuff, this is where it is. But if people want to read about it so they can get better educated without going to see a therapist or see someone like me, um, that's a great way to go out and, and do that. But it always is better when you have someone like me talking to you about it because you can read about it, you know. Yeah. You can read about all you want, but it actually putting it in practice and having someone kind of challenge it along like we did today. That's exactly that's the totally point I was going to make. Reading it in you books. need to be challenged right. because I didn't go the extra level. I just went to I just right. went to food tastes better when the work is done. Right. And, and so reading something is that yeah. you know dimensional experience and when you put it real time, which is the benefit of seeing uh, you know a life coach, whatever you want to call me, a guide, whatever, it, you have the person on the other side challenging it to bring it out of the the loops of the outside of those pieces to bring it internal to you. And because people love staying external, it's safer. You don't have to be vulnerable. If you don't go in th- sure. inside, you don't have to talk about anything that makes you cry, makes you upset, right. makes you actually have to look at something and go, oh, I really don't want to do this. It's plus, scary. Plus you have the fail safe of that happened out there. Right. It failed no, out right. there. It, right. didn't, it didn't but fail internally. Will, uh, so on sort of an end note, it's interesting because the internal locus of control, right, yes. versus the external locus of control. If if you failed because I told you to do something and you took that advice and even though it was just advice, you failed, it's my fault. Right. But if you generated it and it was the same advice and you failed, 
you would take it on as your own. Right. It's the it, it's it's depending on where the message is coming from and how you interpret it. Right. You know, I always tell my 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 college kids, you know, when they take their exams, I'm like. If you fail, it's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame me because when you're successful, it's not your fault either. It's because I helped you get there. Right. <laughs> I always turn around. It's for about them. whether you take so, personal responsibility or not. And yeah. People aren't always comfortable with personal responsibility. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so, good. All right. I like that. So, time on the wall or on the computer says it's time. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you guys all have a great week. If you want to um, contact me, certainly you can post up later. And I check the Your Daily Game Face Facebook site all day long today, which is I check in to respond if anyone has any Excellent. questions or thoughts. And then if not, you see at the bottom of your screen my email and my phone number, and you can contact me there. And until next week, have a great one. Find your why. Thank <laughs> you.